straight from the Hernan's mouth on this week's Always Listening. Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, who has wide open ears. Wide open ears. You 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 have been always listening, sir. I'm so glad mm. you have been. We've got uh, some great stuff to bring to you this week, including uh, discussion from Hernan Lopez, the uh, guy behind Wondery, and of course, the figurehead behind the Podcast Academy that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Um, we're going to talk about his appearance on the new media show. You can go listen to it. The links are in the show notes. Uh, but in, in case you just would rather get the uh, the info download, we're going to discuss the high points of that conversation today. That's going to be uh, one of our final topics. First, though, Jay, this is something that came up for me. Well, you know what? Before we even get to that, I want to um, address, we got a little bit of feedback uh, from our Love last feedback. couple of episodes. Yeah, me too. And I, I wanted to specifically address this because I thought it was um, worthwhile. Uh, this came from, I'm pulling it up here, Oliver Banta. Uh, Oliver said, uh, good evening. I wanted to share feedback from one newish listener. The last two episodes have been a bit tough to listen to. I can understand why the Podcast Movement Evolutions Academy announcement was controversial and frustrating for longtime independent podcasters. But the new episode taking such issue with the CEO of Serial saying it introduced a new kind of audio storytelling five years ago and extrapolating that to mean they think they invented podcasting is unreasonable in my opinion. Audio storytelling has been around a lot longer than podcasting. The audio productions of War of the Worlds in the late 30s being just one example of the evolution of audio content. I consider the big differentiator with podcasting being the distribution method and it removing the gatekeepers to getting content to an audience. Is there a unique format or style and content that podcasting has introduced? Just my two cents. Hope you all find peace with the evolution of the industry. Uh, and I, I told him thank you for that. I appreciate the feedback. And he's probably right. You and I did get uh, heated, honestly, over the last couple of, of weeks. And we might have taken that that yeah. line a little personally. But I feel like overall, we gave it the context that it deserved. The, the yeah, I don't Those understand his comment there. Wait, well, he said so he, that it was hard to us. listen to, but then he agreed with 100% with what we were saying. Yeah, he, he agrees with us, but he just he, he felt like we were overblowing their statement, that they introduced a new form of audio storytelling, and and he says us extrapolating that to, to imply that they had invented podcasting effectively um, is a little bit overblown. My thing is, these folks... The folks like Hernan behind this podcast academy, all of these folks from from public radio, they continue to say the right things sometimes in that they love indie podcasters and they love kind the of. wide open nature of the space. But then they also say things like, we invented a new form of storytelling. <laughs> I mean, that was just one particular statement. And sure, we could have done a better job of going back and grabbing more it. examples of but of things that they have said in the past and, and honestly some of the extrapolation from that particular quote came from the exact article that we were referencing mm -hmm. in in that particular quote so and, and by the way the person who was making that reference was nick qua himself it was <laughs> wasn't like it was coming out of a, a weird you know somebody you've never heard of mouth 
it was and the reason why I had included it was because it was from Nick Qua himself. Yeah. It was almost yeah. like Nick Qua cuz I believe the way that Nick Qua had presented it was like he understands the chest thumping at the same time encourages more of it. Sort of yes. sort of acknowledging that they really didn't do it but encourages them to say that sort of thing more often. Yeah, yeah, and I just it's, it's, it's totally again th- this whole episode in particular is going to be uh, sort of about us trying to figure out how to come together and move forward. That's that's what you and I want absolutely. But again, we feel like the other side keeps pushing us off. It's not we we want to we want to join. We want to pitch in and and put our blood, sweat, and tears in there on forming a great organization on continuing to grow our industry. But we do feel like the independent podcaster feels like, and I, I don't. I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm speaking for myself and the other people who've talked to me. We do feel like we get pushback when we do. And today, I think we're going to give some some more examples of that pushback. But uh, thank you for the feedback regardless. We, we do appreciate yeah. uh, uh, constructive criticism always. And, and you're right. We could probably have a more positive attitude and outlook on this thing and give you more feedback on what you can do and what you should do as an independent. So for instance, today we're going to bring you a little bit of that. I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks back, Jay, that we haven't gotten a chance to discuss yet. Um, and this was in response to a, a lot of questions that I get on a regular basis from new clients, especially, but even from just people in general in the space, we hear a lot about bad podcast media hosts, you know, companies that are doing it the wrong way. Um, we hear a lot about the ones that everybody loves. People will be a champion of Libsyn or people will be a champion of Blueberry, or you hear a lot these days about Captivate.fm. It's a, a newer player in the space and they're, they're causing a lot of excitement. What is it that people mean though, when they say this is a good podcast media host, or this is a bad podcast media host, what, what separates them and what is it that uh, new podcasters, new producers should be looking for when they are trying to decide who they want to go with and who they want to host with. To me, it comes down to three things, Jay. So it's super easy, honestly. And I feel like this article, uh, the blog post breaks it down for you pretty simply, but it is simply three things. Before you jump into those three things, if I may, because I think there's one thing that you didn't necessarily address, certainly not with your number one, uh, and not with your number two, and and that's sort of the one thing that every media host does mm-hmm. is deliver your RSS feed to the listening destinations of choice. Mm. I think that's the one that's the one thing every media host does. And then there are differentiators around that, and that's your point number three. Uh, so I'll I'll leave it at that. But that's the one thing you need to understand right from the get go. The reason why you have a media host is because they are providing your RSS. They're, one, they're most likely creating your RSS feed. There are options where you can create your own RSS feed and then host it. But ultimately, most of you probably aren't doing that. If you're listening to the show, you might actually be doing that, you crazy people. But <laughs> for the most part, the media host creates your RSS feed and then delivers it to the listening destinations of choice. That's the one thing that they all should be doing. If they don't do that... Don't you? That's a bad media host. You're you're absolutely right there, Jay. And uh, I will say there are variations of that, right? Anchor uh, sort of pushes you to let them submit 
to all the places. They they make it right. easy so that it's literally like you just click a button and and they submit you to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. They submit you to Spotify. They submit you all the places. Most podcast hosts have a have it set up in their back end so that like here's you grab this link and then you go do it yourself and some of them captivate.fm for instance and i believe libsyn does this too they even have links to the place where you want to go submit right so you go and you click here's spotify you click that and it opens up the spotify submission link or here's the apple podcast directory to submit to etc cetera, etc cetera. so either way you're right they need to maintain the RSS feed and they need to help you submit to all of those directories, right. whether that's directly or through uh, uh, instructions and, and help and make the process simpler. That You're right. That is the first thing. And I don't have that in there. I might even make an addendum. And but Spreaker, the- by the way, adds like one click distribution that makes it real mm. easy. You just click on the destination point and it gets submitted and it goes through the proper channels. It gets submitted with your name, your email address, everything that's necessary. They've They've reached out to these particular companies and have made deals where they make the submission process much easier. And I think that is the key. I think that's one of the things that when we get down to number three or or past number three, the sort of the extras to choose from, that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that you can look at media hosts. How are you a hands-on person or do you want some hand-holding? And different media hosts might help you uh, fit into that one way or the other. But to me, Jay, the top level thing, and it's funny because I heard Dave Jackson talking about this this week. He was at uh, the Spark conference, I think. It's like a Christian uh, media conference. And there were several... um, companies there that are they have some product or another most of them are like website products sort of like Squarespace or Wix or something like that and many of them are now offering because it's a great feature ad hey we've got podcasting you can do podcasting through our platform etc cetera, etc cetera. but over and over and over again as he looked at them they didn't check off number 1 on my list here can you create an easy redirect of your feed if and when you ever want to move your media hosting in the future this is this is the central thing for me about a media host. Can I change my mind down the road? And are you going to make that simple for me? If I want to move to a different platform, if I want to just take my ball and go home, will you make that simple for me? If I'm locked into your platform forever with podcasting, then that's not a solution, in my opinion. It's just not an option. And I, I say here, if they don't give this answer in the FAQ... If when asked directly, the answer is not a definitive yes, if they quibble at all, go on and look for somebody else is my thing. Like there are too many good podcast media hosts that do check off this one, especially all of the good ones, Blueberry, Libsyn, uh, uh, Captivate.fm, Spreaker, Buzzsprout. Who who else am I thinking of? Audio Boom. I think they even offer a redirect. I Like every company that I can think of that I would trust with my media hosting absolutely offers a redirect and makes it really simple. Some of them have to implement the redirect themselves. You have to tell them, hey, this is the code that I want you to to forward the URLs to, and they will implement it. Some of them, it's just a form in your back end that you put in. Either way is fine, but if they won't redirect for you, do not host with them, period. So I want to, I want to clarify that because I, as a, as a former employee of a media hosting company, uh, there is, I don't want to say making it difficult to leave, but I do want to have a step where I'm able to talk to you so that I can get feedback on why it is that you're leaving. What is it that we are not providing for you so that we can improve our business? And you can say, well, you should know that already. And perhaps that company should. 
But at the end of the day, you have to give that particular company a chance to keep your business, right? Because again, the one main thing that everybody is doing is providing you with an RSS feed that gets distributed uh, to all the listening destinations. Everybody is going to do that for you. So then it's just a matter of what feature is it that you're looking that we don't currently provide or don't provide at a level that another company provides at. Is that why you're ultimately leaving? Because if you're leaving because, uh, you know, I it, it takes 24 hours for Apple to show my newest episodes. Well, guess what? It takes 24 hours for any podcast or can take, it can take up to 48 hours for any podcast to show up on Apple. And that has nothing to do with the hosting company. That has to do with the way that Apple conducts their business in regards to uh, the way that their RSS feeds get uh, shown in their directory. So it's things like that, that can sometimes fall under the cracks, fall under the, the rug, if you will, that just don't get back to the hosting company and an educate there's an education step there that gets missed and for me as as someone who used to work at a hosting company we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to provide you with the best possible business that we possibly can and if there's something that another company does better i mean i can't speak for any other company out there but i know when i was working at the place i would i would admit it i would say you know what? 100%. This service is going to work better for what your goals are. You should go use them. And that's just because I'm a good dude. <laughs> but I guess that's not great business. Well, it's sometimes not great. So so why is this so important? First and foremost, you kind of mentioned it there. People might go out of business. Like companies go out of business all the time. We've seen many podcast media hosts close up shop. Now, generally, the ones that, that do are the ones that had free service, effectively, which right. we know is not a great idea. But um, still, Libsyn could close someday. It's not likely. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But they could decide to go into a different, uh, uh, you know, industry. Or, or here's what's more likely, any company could change its terms of service to become something that you no longer agree with. And again, right there, you need to have the ability to migrate, to move the, the you know, the uh, the rule of two feet. You can take your two feet and move your business to somewhere else. I think that is integral to a good media host. If you don't have that, it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near okay. The second thing, Jay, and this is a smaller thing, but especially now in in, right. in this current time that we're in, if you if your media host or the one that you're shopping around for does not currently support all of the new categories and metadata supported by Apple Podcasts, that is not a good media host. the The current categories, the new the new categories that we're dealing with, the new metadata. This was announced it's like two years old, two right? years ago. Yeah, two years ago, and fully implemented like a year and a half ago. Okay, so every media host has had more than enough time to do the coding. Blueberry, I want to give them a pat on the back here. They were ready before Apple was ready. Libsyn was ready the day that Apple was ready. I think they had the code in place already. They just didn't turn it on until it was effective because they didn't want to confuse their users, basically. But in both those cases, 
they did it within months of the announcement, just a couple, like literally 60 days of the announcement that they were going to do this. Both of them had it implemented. This is not tough stuff. It's not. So if you have a, a, a media host, and I'm speaking specifically here about uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud still has not implemented the new categories and metadata Ooh. that Apple Podcasts supports. And that, to me, shows their lack of interest and lack of care for the podcaster. Um, they want our money. They don't want our you know, they don't want to know our industry. They don't want to actually be involved in our industry. And to me, that means it's not a good media host. Um, it, what that what that really shows is not just about the metadata. It's not just about those categories, Jay. It's about the fact that they're not interested and focused on the podcasting space, right? If you have a media host that's not updating with that information, that means that they're not paying attention. They're using you as an extra revenue stream. They don't want to be a part of the actual podcast space. Libsyn, Blueberry, Captivate.fm, Buzzsprout, all of these companies do, and it's clear. They think and live and breathe podcasting. So that's the second one to me. The third one, and this is the this is the one that I think is where everybody breaks down. And you said it perfectly. That service will work better for you and what you're doing. A pricing model that you can understand and agree with. Okay. This is super simple. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Some of the podcast media hosts... Uh, and I'm going to use Captivate FM as the example here, but there are some others. I think uh, it's not Buzzsprout, but somebody was telling me the other day there's a, there's another one of the the bigger ones, uh, one of the older ones that does this as well. Captivate.fm's big deal to me is that you can host multiple shows for one price. You create your account with them, and that account Spreaker. gives you a bucket. Spreaker does that too. You're right. I, for, I forgot all about Spreaker, but you're absolutely right. Spreaker allows for that network model. In both those cases, you're limited by the total number of downloads in a month. Now, I've heard a lot of people like Dave Jackson, for instance, he says, man, I would never want to be like that. I would never want to be limited on downloads. What happens if my show blows up? I have always felt like I don't want to be limited by my ability to branch out and create a second topic. That, that was a thing that always hampered me in the beginning with, with Libsyn. I hosted with Libsyn for a couple of years with my first show. I moved over to Blog Talk Radio eventually. I moved to Spreaker from there when they merged. And now I'm hosting with Captivate.fm for all of my shows. And one of the reasons that I am so excited about them, so excited about Spreaker when I moved to them. You, you're absolutely right. Thanks for reminding me of that. It was the idea that I could host multiple shows, that I could come up with a new idea and I could try it. And if it worked, okay. If it didn't work, okay, well, that's okay too. But I don't have to immediately come up with some new investment to try a new idea. I don't know any podcasters who have stuck with it for more than a year or two and who haven't come up with a second show idea. Not all of them pursue that because there's monetary and time investments, right? But I honest, I can't think of a single podcaster who sticks with it that doesn't immediately have some second or tertiary idea. And to me... I want that creativity to, to be allowed to bloom and grow. So that was a big point for me. I didn't want the extra expense. I want my shows to just be able to bubble up however they need to or shrink and, and, and expand and whatever happens naturally. Now, what about when we hit that download total, Jay? Well, the thought there is that when you get to, so with Captivate, for instance, it's 12,000 downloads a month. Do you remember the current What's the number for Spreaker? I can't remember, but I think it's in that range too. It's in the it's in the multiples of thousands. It's in the ten thousands somewhere. Um, either way, even if you've got several shows, let's say you have three or four shows and you're getting you know fifteen thousand downloads a month total with those three or four shows. At that point, 
You're making at money. least what? Yeah, at least one of those shows should be able to monetize pretty directly. You you should be able to find some sponsorship, or some Patreon money, something to support the extra hosting costs. At that point, that's the idea. Is that as you bubble up and you get bigger, you should have some money coming in. I think that makes total sense. I understand Dave's, um, you know, unwillingness to have a show hampered like that. It's just a choice, right? He's made a choice as a creative that he's willing to have multiple accounts open and he doesn't want any one of those shows to be limited at all in its growth. My thing is I'm realistic about the growth of my shows. I don't think I'm ever going to hit those targets or not any near time anyway. But meanwhile, if I have a great new idea, I want to be able to just launch it and not have to worry about coming up with an extra 20 bucks a month. Just remember Libsyn has download limits too. Well, they just don't base it on a download. They base it on the amount of total bandwidth or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Well, and that's the thing. We, any show, if you get big enough, if you're, if you're Joe Rogan, you're going to have to pay more. Right. <laughs> right. Because you got millions and millions of downloads a month. So but but again, the idea is that when you get to that point, those media hosting companies are going to want to help you monetize your show as well. They're going to want to help you find sponsors. So. I, I just that's the thing for me and, and, and there are other models. Some companies charge more for statistics, for instance. Libsyn, you can get in for a very reasonable rate, five dollars a month for their lowest hosting cost. And if you um if you compress your shows properly, you can even do a weekly show on that five dollar a month plan. However, you don't get access to their full statistics, which is kind of a problem for me. I want whatever numbers you have on my show, I want them all for whatever amount of money that I pay you. I understand why they break it up the way that they do, but I prefer a different monetary model. And that's the thing. Make sure you understand how your hosting company is making money. Make sure that you can understand it and make sure that you agree with it. That I think that's the key there. You know, you mentioned many podcast consultants, professionals will tell you to never use a quote unquote free media host. Mm. And I will tell you, there's only one company that I have found that I would recommend. They are a free media host. They are called Red Circle. Uh, you got, again, you qualify this with you just need to understand their pricing model, right? So the reason why they are free is one, they offer you the uh, ability to have your audience tip you directly in their particular listening app. And they obviously will take a portion of that tip that is sent to you. It's a small portion, by the way. It's not a large portion, uh, very much like Patreon. Uh, they also are getting in the advertising game. So they will take a rev share uh, with the advertising that they'll help provide for you and your particular podcast. The other portion is that this is technology that was developed by the same guys that developed the technology behind the Uber app. Uh, these guys are in the their business model is they're ultimately looking to sell the company to another company that will utilize the technology that they have created uh, that they feel has made it very easy for podcasters. That is their business model. Now, ultimately, those business models will fall. Ultimately, those types of companies will close shop. But I do believe that these guys are in the right place, that they have enough money at this particular point in time and have enough of a model that they will be able to get to a point that even if they do have to close shop, they're also not the type of people that are just going to be like, all right, we're done. See you later and leave you hanging there. They will give you the, the forewarning. So that's so. So understanding that as your caveat, that is why I tend to recommend red circle to people, especially if they are just starting out. Now, the other thing to understand is a lot of these hosting companies, 
if not all of them, will offer a free trial of some sort, whether it's a month free or they have a free subscription that doesn't give you all of the features that they have on their site just so that you can try it out. Everybody has some sort of free so that you can sort of get your feet wet, understand what it is that their site is and how to utilize that. If you are doing that, however, I would still recommend that you don't start a podcast under the free model with the intention of moving to another platform. And I know that might sound like I just spoke out of both sides of my mouth, but you don't want to create something on the free platform and then be like, you know what? This isn't really working for me. I want to try out the other one for free. Like, by the way, the companies all talk to each other. They're all buddies. Rob Walsh, Todd Cochran, they, they talk to each other. Uh, so they have insights as to whom is just, you know, you know what? My free trials run out this month. I'm going over to Lipson. Oh, my free trial ran out. I'm moving over to Blueberry. Oh, my free trial ran out. I'm running over to Spreaker. Like they all know who you are. Just <laughs> not, you know, so. Well, it's also, it's not fun to change an RSS feed. It's really to, not. To migrate your show is a real hassle. There's going to be a follow-up to this that I want to write in a little while, and we, we've talked about it several times on the show. I, I wanted to do it since I moved to this show, in fact. I want to write about things to remember when you're migrating uh, your feed because there's a lot. There's a lot to keep up with, and there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to take advantage of, and there's a lot to stay on top of. So it's not the kind of thing that you want to do on a regular basis. You don't want to plan for migrations to be part of your ongoing podcasting plan. That's That's not, that's not a good idea. Well, remember what a redirect is. It's a line of code that gets added to your RSS feed that simply tells the listening directories, hey, podcast is no longer coming from destination A. It's coming from destination B. But destination A gets pinged in all of this because that was the original destination point, but it's letting the listening app know you don't need to ping A anymore, go to B. If you have multiple redirects on your on your file, it can cause problems. Uh, and by the way, a lot of those extra, like PodTrack, for instance, they're tracking your listens via a redirect code on your RSS feed. So even if you move to a different platform and you add that redirect code, understand that if you're using PodTrack as well, which you don't need to, uh, you are now putting another redirect code on top of the redirect codes that you already have on your on your file. And the more redirect codes that you get can cause more issues uh, as you move further along in your podcasting life. Some of these media hosts are going to have different integrations with third-party services. Libsyn, for instance, works with Google Drive and Dropbox. I think you can kind of plug in your cloud accounts so that you can pull in files directly like that. Some of them have FTP options where you can send a file automatically, and I know some people like to do things like that. Um, some of them work with third-party services for things like transcription or audiograms in a more automated way. Maybe that's something that's important to you. My point is to decide what it is that you want out of your podcast media host. Look at what the options are and then pick the one, just as you said, Jay, that fits you and your 
workflow, you know, what it is that you want to do, where it is that you want to go as a podcaster, just do it with open eyes. Um, the, the quote that I put down here at the bottom, uh, to, to badly paraphrase the Russian novelists, while all bad podcast media hosts are alike, good podcast media hosts are each good in their very own way. And I, I think that's absolutely true. If you check off these top three, then I think you're a pretty good media host. And after that, it's just about personal taste. And personal taste does matter. The The styling of the website, you're going to be in this website, you're going to be in this back end at least once a week if you've got a weekly show, once a month, maybe if you're only once a month. But either way, you're going to be using it. And if you don't like the way it looks, if you don't like the way it works, find a different one that you like the way it looks and works better, right? Exactly. Sorry, I was trying to hold back a sneeze there. No, that's all right. <laughs> and then get back to podcasting. That's the other thing that I want to say. Like, just... Quit worrying about the media host. Check off those top threes, pick one that you like, and then just get back to podcasting. And don't worry about jumping you know, from one to the other. Oh, who's the hot new media host? That's another thing that I've seen people do for years. Like, what are you doing? Just as you said, like, oh, I'm, I, my free trial's up over here. I'm going to move over there. I'm going to move over there. I've got some friends that are on Spreaker now. I'm going to move over there. I'm going to move over to Blueberry. What are you, why? What, what, is, what are you hoping to gain from moving around? That's my thing. If you think about it and you put some research into it before you choose your media host, you can be happy with them for years and years and years and stay in one place. It makes it a whole lot easier. All right. Let's get to our next uh, article here, Jay. Um, the link for that, by the way, if you want to read the whole post, is in the show notes. Um, this one we talked about last week and we didn't have time to cover it, so I'm excited to get to it today. The five stages of the podcast listener journey. This is a fascinating read, and it comes to us from Alice Coe, uh, who is writing on Medium. I know you're about to slap her wrist. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a shame. (laughs) Uh, She is part of the startup and uh, the five stages of the podcast listener journey. Now, it's important to understand everything there is to know about your podcast listener, because that's how you're going to ultimately grow your show. It's how you're going to tailor your content. Uh, The five stages are listed as this. Awareness, consideration, decision to listen, subscription, and retention. And I think all of those, (laughs) those are extremely important steps in, in the listener, and especially your listener, and making them your listener. Uh, First, they have to become aware of your show, whether it's through word of mouth, ads, social shares, online mentions, search. All of these things are extremely important to get your podcast awareness uh, up. She also provides a chart about people who don't listen to podcasts and people who already listen to podcasts and the differences in their awareness activity, how they become aware of your particular podcast. Uh, just remember, people who don't listen to podcasts won't become aware of your show via podcast ads, other podcasts, a podcast player, podcast communities, or podcast charts because they're not listening to podcasts. So there's no way for them to become aware of your show in that regard. And that is an important part that I think I've, if I haven't made it perfectly clear, it's the one part that we as an industry don't do well at all in marketing podcasts outside of the podcasting bubble. We do a great job, I believe, in marketing podcasts to other podcast listeners. We don't do a great job of marketing podcasts to non-podcast listeners. And that's where an iHeartRadio has an advantage. 
That's where an intercom has an advantage. That's where all these radio companies have their big advantage. They've got the biggest megaphones to people who aren't already listening to podcasts. Well, I mean, that's the upside. That's the plan for the New York Times. We're going to talk about potentially the New York Times making a purchase here. That's what they see, right, is all of the people who read the newspaper or who have read the newspaper in the past but who don't even know what a podcast is. That's who they see as the blue ocean strategy to make a bunch of money from. Um, and honestly, you're just right. Media companies, large media companies, have a much more natural inroad to that type of listener than you and I do. However, I will say, for average podcasters, I think tools like audiograms and specifically the overcast clip sharing, where you can automatically make a little video and share that out, I think those are key it's not going to come, though, from you or I sharing our own shows. It's going to come from listeners sharing shows. Right. So what I've tried to do, and I don't do this nearly as well, but what I've tried to do more of is when I'm listening to a podcast, I need to share their show. Not my own show. I, need, I don't need to worry about marketing on my own show. I need to help foster a community and an attitude and a behavior set for people who listen to podcasts, period that they post that podcast listening. Just like, I mean, think about it. Do you ever go to the movie theater that you don't check into the movie theater and tell people on Facebook what you're watching? I don't. I don't ever go to the movie theater that I don't check in and say, I'm here watching no. the new Star Wars and make a little comment about it. I, we should be doing that on an ongoing basis for the podcast that we're listening to. Yeah, I don't do that. And my wife doesn't do it. My Well, my wife does it a little bit more often than I do, but... I'll only do it when it's something that I'm really excited about going to see and I want to share my excitement with my community, whomever that happens to be. Um, and it's usually something I'm doing with the kids. But you're right. I mean, they're, the same type of excitement and share should occur with podcasts just as much as it happens with a movie or a TV show or any other activity that you would share. Here's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, Jay. I have uh, these apps. One's called Letterboxd, which is for films. And I can rec every time I watch a film, I, I put it in my diary in Letterboxd, but I also write a short little review about it, give it a rating, the whole nine yards, and then I can track over time, you know, how many movies did I watch in 2019? How many um, films did I watch in 2020, et cetera, et cetera. There's an app called TV Time where I do the same thing for my TV watching. And that even allows you to like, rate the episode, say how you felt about it, choose an actor that was your favorite character in that that episode, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in some cases, they even have a little thing where they ask you how you watched it. Did you watch it on your tablet or did you watch it on Amazon Prime or did you watch it on TV, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Um, and again, I can look back at that over time and say, oh, I watched... 300 episodes in the year of 2019 or, or I finished, you know, two whole series and or it's been five years since I've seen Deadwood or, you know, whatever it might be. Why don't we have something like that for podcasting? Now, mm. we sort of do in the Podcatcher app, right? Podcatcher is beginning to make some of those scrabble is the word we used to use for music. I don't know if people use that anymore, but there were there were apps where you could connect to whatever you were using to listen and it would tell people online automatically what song you were listening to scrobbling your music listening was what that was called um i i wonder if there's not some way that we can do that better with podcasting podcatcher is not oh. in my habit yet you know what company is already working on that who spotify well so spotify does do a great job 
of showing me my weekly podcast. They give me a little playlist. Here's here's your podcasts for this week, and it's a bunch of episodes of shows that I've listened to in the past that are that are new or maybe an interesting one or whatever. Uh, just like they give me a podcast, a weekly discover podcast for music. You're absolutely right. That that is one way that they can track our experience and and help show it to us. I'm assuming. Well, no, I'm not assuming. I know because at the end of 2019, when I got my Spotify rewind or whatever they call it, they give you that. Here's the here's your top songs for 2019. They did the same thing for podcasting. They showed me some of my podcast listening. Now, I don't listen to a lot of shows there, so I'm not putting a lot of data into the Spotify algorithms or, or their machines. But you're right. They are doing some of that. I think we could do more, and I think that would help this awareness stage, especially so, for people who aren't listening currently. The one thing I would say is I don't want you to know when I'm listening to podcasts, <laughs> quite honestly. I'd like to keep that a little private, if you don't mind. Uh, but that's also one of the things like my wife does a great job. My wife will share that we're at some place or better yet. The better example is when I'm watching a Patriots game with with my son and then she gets mad when I go to Twitter to, you know, react to a specific play. And she's like, you're watching the game with your son. Live in the moment. Who the heck are all these other people? You don't know any of these people. Why in the world are you sharing that with them? Like spend time with your son. Stop spending time on your phone. And it's it's a it's an act that I can't really describe to her. That I don't have a really good explanation. Like, but 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 that was a huge moment. I want everyone to know that I'm right there in the moment with them. And she's like, but who cares? Who who cares about everyone else? Care about your son. I'm like, but I'm sharing it with my son right now. We're both out of our minds right now. Um, so anyway, that but that's an example again of where I'll let you know that I'm watching the Patriots game, but I'm not necessarily going play by play with you like I used to do. Um, and it was really exciting and fun to do. But I have a police officer. I live. I live in a police state. If you if you scroll back and look at my Facebook posts from when I was an NFL fan, I did the same thing for Saints games. I would go play by play. I had I had lots of people that wouldn't watch the game. They were out and about, but they would just watch my news feed to see what was happening with the Saints <laughs> during the day. So, Jay, once we break through the awareness though, the stage There's two a consideration. is consideration. I mm. love so again, and I do think we can do more of that. I think we should all I think companies should continue to push on ways to help that what are people listening to? What do my friends listen to? What episodes are they enjoying? What shows are they enjoying? We as individual producers and podcast listeners, though, need to figure out how to incorporate that into our habits as well, though. I think we can help the awareness if we do that. Once we get past that, though, the second stage is consideration. Right. And the the big question is in under consideration is after becoming aware that your podcast exists, why would someone consider listening to your podcast? Why, why, why? This is the why game, Joel. This is something that I've talked about on this show. It's something that I talked about, talk to the podcasters at Locked On all the time. Anytime you are doing something on your show, you have to answer the question why. If you write a title, why did you write your title that way? Why is someone who's going to read that title going to click the play button now to listen to that particular podcast? Why did you write your show notes that way? Why did you write your episode description that way? Why did you open your show in this manner? Why did you do everything you do? You should be asking yourself why, and you should have a suitable answer for it. And if the answer doesn't come back to ultimately driving a listener's attention to continue listening to the show, you should not be doing what it is that you're doing. Um, to break that down even further from this particular article, credibility and influence and personal interest are two things are two 
subcategories underneath that question you need to take into consideration. You need to present yourself as an expert, quote unquote. You are the expert. You are the host that makes you the quote unquote expert. Show yourself as the expert. Um, it's a very interesting, uh, there's so much to this article. I don't know how much we're going to get into in detail, but uh, I highly recommend that you go and read all of it. Absolutely. And the links in the show notes, the one thing here that really stuck out to me, Jay, is that 61% of people now find information from quote unquote, a person like me to be credible or very credible. This is one. Okay. So we talked about the past couple of weeks, the Joe Rogan experience for me. I knew of Joe Rogan's show. I knew there were guests on Joe Rogan's show that I would find interesting. And I still hadn't listened for a long, 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 long time. Why? Because I thought to myself, Joe and the people that like his show are not like me. That's what I saw from the outside looking in. I said, uh, I don't agree with Joe on lots of things. His interests are not my interests. And the people that I know that are rabid fans of his, I look at them and the sort of the demographic that I'm getting from that, I go, mm, those aren't my people either. This show's not going to be for me. And so I put it off for a long time. It wasn't until you go down to the personal interest. If the podcast and the episode topic seems interesting and relevant, they will be this much closer to listening. That's the line there. And that's what happened with me. Eventually I found a topic that Joe was covering and I didn't see a lot of other podcasts that were going to be covering this topic or having these guests on. And I thought, I really want to hear from that guest. I really want to hear about that topic. So I gave his show a listen and now I'm eight episodes in or whatever and 15 hours deep. Mm. God, that show's so long. It's, it really is. It's so long. Every I can't episode, wait for the Adam Curry episode. It's coming. I think oh, it's this man. week. It's it's too much. It's honestly it's too much content. Uh, it is really it's too much content. But finally, he had a topic that that pulled me in, even above the idea that you know that he and that other people that had suggested the show to me were not quote unquote people like me. I love that they suggest that we can write clearly and succinctly. That's a way that we can mm. influence someone that's during that consideration stage. Folks, show notes do matter. Show notes do matter. We don't do a great job of this. We try to keep it just to the, the links and just a tiniest bit of commentary to give you an idea of what the topics that we're going to cover in each episode are. We should do more. We should write you know, a, a paragraph of... of um, recap effectively explaining right. exactly the content of the episode in a succinct and clear way that anybody can pick up on and that would probably draw a few more eyeballs into each individual episode this is incredibly important for a podcast that is varied in topics right like our show anybody that reads anything about our mm -hmm. show knows we're going to be talking about the podcast industry and so any topic every week is going to be within that sort of range but if you have a very open show if, if it's two guys and some funny stuff then you need to be super succinct and super clear in each ep individual episode about what that episode is about. Joe Rogan show, WTF shows like that that are guest heavy. I think again, very clearly need to make it clear who is speaking this week and what we're speaking about. Because for those shows, I know a lot of the listeners pick and choose, right? You don't listen to every episode, maybe especially if you're putting out two or three a week. You go through and you dump that one, but you save this one. You dump that one, but save this one. Show notes make that more possible. I mean, just take this particular episode. Our title is referring to a topic that we haven't even discussed yet. Uh, and we're about 40 minutes deep into this particular show. <laughs> That's a good point. 
So, I mean, this point. is this is the reason why the show notes are effective. Uh, by the way, we still probably got about 10 minutes before we even get to that topic. So, uh, hang tight, everybody. Hang tight. Let's go uh, to what is the decision to listen, Jay? How, where, how yeah. do they get over the top? What convinces someone to hit play on your podcast? There's some sort of perceived value. If the content seems appealing, educational, entertaining. By the way, that sounds very close to my three E's. It matches what they want to learn. They will press play. The quality and quantity of social proof. This is one that, uh, this one can go either way. People tend to have a difference of opinion on this, but a lot of this is why people ask for those rankings because, you know, if you go to Amazon, you, my wife, I'll use my wife as a perfect example again. When she goes to Amazon to buy something, if it doesn't have a certain number of rankings and doesn't meet four or five stars, she ain't buying that particular product. Doesn't matter. It's got to have a certain number of, of rankings and it's got to reach that four or five star mark. And if it doesn't, and same thing with restaurants. If we go to try a new restaurant, if it doesn't have a certain number of rankings on Yelp and it doesn't reach four or five stars, sorry, we ain't eating there. Uh, so quality and quantity of social proof, that's all about your rankings. Convenience of consumption, and this is just about making sure your podcast is everywhere it possibly can so that people can listen to your podcast no matter what listening destination is their choice. The other thing that I, I like that they remind you of, though, is that you're competing against other things other than just other podcasts. You know, when when someone chooses to listen to your show, they're choosing not to read a blog. They're choosing not to watch a YouTube video. They're choosing not to watch Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus and all these other things. Um, and I know if you just think about this as a as a individual you do this yourself. You know there are moments when you think, oh, I should listen to a podcast, and then instead you turn on YouTube, or instead you go to Amazon Prime. I, I mean, I know you do because I do. So think about that and understand that your audience is doing that as well. And that's something that we have to overcome. We have to make sure that we're as available and as easy to consume as possible so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with these other mediums and, and other uh, outlets. Phase four is subscription. Why does someone choose to subscribe to your podcast? Well, they've been impressed. And there's an anticipation for good content in the future. So what activities and tactics help them decide? This is where content is king. This is why everyone says content is king. Because if you have great content, she writes good. I dare say it's got to be great. Uh, if you have great content, people are going to subscribe to it and you need to actively build anticipation. I talk about teasing like crazy. Tease, 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 tease. And it's not just teasing about what's coming up on your podcast. It's about teasing in the middle of your podcast and it's about teasing at the end of your podcast what's coming up in your next podcast. As, as much of that information as you can give to get your audience excited about the content that they're going to hear, especially if they subscribe, that they're not going to miss it, that is key. There's a great chart here that I would just say, go and, go and read it. It, it highlights uh, IMDB and some of the things that IMDB delivers and how to apply that to your podcast. The, the thing there, Jay, for me is that this is something that radio folks do and have ingrained in us that mm -hmm. podcasters don't do naturally, I think. And so this is one of those benefits that the public radio folks have, uh, I think, naturally, because radio is all about the post, right? We're all about the clock. We're all about what's up next. We're all about we, we got to bring you over into the next 15-minute segment so that so that our book <laughs> it stays up. <laughs> right. The podcasts don't care about that, but we do need to care about next week, next episode, 
you know, the, because that is where the subscription comes in. And that's where the ongoing, listen, any individual episode, you can have 15,000 downloads, 100,000 downloads, whatever. That's great. But if nobody comes back next week, that's worthless to you. That is of no help to build something on. You can't advertise and you can't monetize a show that only has one big episode. That just won't work. Yep. Having a call to action, uh, they mentioned, is key in in every episode, uh, whether it's subscribing to your podcast, following you on social media, going to your website. Uh, this is a section that probably is underserved here in this particular article, but does mention three key reasons as to why you need to have a website. One, it's your home. Two, you can build your funnel. And three, you can own your data. Uh, and these are all key to helping you create a better podcast. When you have access to this type of information, you can make better decisions about the content that you're producing and why you're producing it. And again, it goes, it's cyclical, right? It goes right back to that why. Why, why, why? Well, a website helps answer a lot of those whys. Uh, says the lady who's writing on Medium, by the way, instead of her mm. own website. I'm just, I just want to just want to point that out. Just want to mm. point that out. Everybody ought to have a .com. Phase five is retention. Why does someone listen to a podcast regularly? Uh, again, this is your content is king, and you're creating a community, right? It's it's all about creating a community. Uh, like you mentioned, when it comes to that word of mouth, building up loyal listeners, having people bring in they feel like they're part of something uh they're not just sitting alone and happen to be sharing the same ideas as somebody who is talking into a microphone nick qua says here in a quote uh there's this feeling that comes with podcasts where oftentimes you feel like you're part of a community that you're not physically part of you want to find other people in this nation that doesn't physically exist often that takes the form of a facebook group i've seen that in a bunch of the shows that i listen to they've got very active communities on facebook and and other where other places but those groups are more than just the show because, again, it goes back to that first line. People uh, uh, find more validation from things that are said by people that are like them. <laughs> you know, so if you find a show that you really enjoy, you might look around at the other people who like that show and go, oh, we're all the same. We have these things in common. Um, that is definitely the case for Mabimba Bam, my brother, my brother, and me. Their Facebook group, the Mabimba Bam Appreciation Group, is awesome. It's tens of thousands deep. Those people are super positive. Every single goof in the show, they they you know elevate and 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 make it bigger and better. There's lots of fan art. There's all sorts of stuff. But again, that community is more than just the show. If you can ever get to that space for yourself, if if your Facebook group can have content on, here's a, one on a much smaller level. Trivial Warfare, Jonathan Oakes's group, the Trivial Warfare Army on Facebook. They have quizzes and challenges that that the individual members of the group post every single day there it's why because they love trivia they love new information they love you know interesting little tidbits about uh facts and and numbers or whatever and they share that with each other jonathan doesn't have to do that he's just sort of moderating and sitting on top of it of it and taking advantage of it that's what can happen if you build that thriving community by the way, to be 100% fair to Alice, she apparently was listening during the course of our conversation. There's a link at the very bottom that says this post originally appeared on Pivot 6. Nice. So, so just so you know, uh, Pivot 6 is a uh, podcast marketing um, company. And so I, I suppose she was living by the make the content easy, right? <laughs> be everywhere that yeah, you possibly that's a good can. Point. 
that's a good point, I guess. I didn't even know that that was a possibility. Look at that. You can you can double post on Medium. You can can uh, highlight a post from somewhere else. It's better if it's on your own website. Pivot six. Uh, you know what? I'm going to put that link in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, Alice. We didn't. I didn't realize. Uh, and I did read your entire article too. That's the worst part. All right, that that is a good one. There's a lot more that we didn't get to get to in that, so please go and check out the full link in the show notes as I am currently replacing it with the uh, actual website link there instead of the Medium link. But, Jay, less, it's time now. Let's get to our main topic today. Uh, Hernan Lopez, uh, as we mentioned in the opening, he's uh, the guy behind Wondery. He's the guy behind the podcast Academy that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. And this past week, he was on the new media show with Todd Cochran and Rob Greenlee. The link for that show is in the show notes. You can listen to the entire thing. But we wanted to go and break down for you because we know most of you probably aren't going to listen to that if you're not already a, a new media show listener. We want to give you some of the highlights and bring out the things that he said that we feel like are relevant to this ongoing topic. And I think there were a bunch of things revealed in here um, that give a lot more color to the conversation that we've been having so far. He spoke with uh, Rob and Todd for about an hour, a little over an hour. I wrote notes down sort of uh, chronologically. Uh, And some of the notes, even though they were written chronologically and you'll see them in the show notes, uh, get related and and sometimes even get an answer uh, that, that I bring up. And the first one is in the, at the seven minute mark of the podcast or around there. Uh, I have, I, I can only give you approximations as to when these things were said because the player I was looking at wasn't giving me precise time. So around the seven minute mark, uh, Hernan says he wants the podcast Academy to celebrate that independent and be included in their board. And yet, as we've discussed, we didn't really find any true independence on their board of governors. That is our definition of independence. He brings it up again at the 25-minute-ish mark, where he's talking about that there are six open seats left for the board of governors, but three have already been reached out to. The goal is to have nine people who work for companies and eight that are indie. Their definition of indie is someone who literally doesn't work for a big company currently. And that, Joel, is sort of where, okay, your definition of what an independent is is completely different than what our definition of an independent is. And our definition, while it includes the quote-unquote one-man show, which Hernan makes numerous references to in the course of this interview, it's not just the one-man show. Yes, they are a majority of the podcasters that are out there. And they are what we would consider independents, but they're not the only independents. And I think it's, I think it's more of saying the right thing than saying, than being a hundred percent honest with yourself as to whether some of these producers that have been put on the board of governors are true independents. I mean, if you were to really break it down and you were to be completely honest with yourself, I don't think you can look at some of the people that are on the board of governors that are listed as quote unquote independent and say, oh, yeah, it's an independent podcaster. You just can't. Yeah. Well, especially and you referenced the um, the IPA in that they all sort of knew each other. It was one group. That's exactly the case here with these board of governors. They've all worked together uh in some capacity or not and 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 that is that's not that's that's not diverse that's that's not covering the entire industry it's just not 
the the thing at the twelve thirty five ish, the um, he clearly says that this is not a trade association, and that blew my mind. I honestly like if it's not going to be that. First of all, the IPA still needs to exist, <laughs> but also <laughs> like I, what is the point of so, forming a group like this without? also bringing in the idea of we've now we've got a body that can argue for us so as robin todd todd ex- ha- tried to have conversation around this without exactly i i, I i'm trying to use the correct terms because i don't want it to sound like again here comes jay being grumpy old jay and attacking but that's sort of they they sort of let hernan off the hook on this and didn't come at him a little bit stronger about it instead of they sort of danced around the topic and they brought up the RSS coalition that, that they're trying to create a sort of a technical aspect. And Rob did mention, this is one of the Twitter conversations that he had with Hernan when they first announced this is to whether the technical component of podcasting should be included in the podcast Academy. And it was at this point, or maybe even a little bit later in the conversation where they sort of agree that this is obviously just about content. This has literally nothing to do with any other aspect of podcasting other than content. Uh, They want to celebrate what they, again, whatever their definition of quote unquote quality is, is probably going to be different than what yours and mine is going to be. I don't think that there is a general definition of quality that we're all going to agree upon because it's a subjective feature of a podcast, right? What makes a podcast great to you, Joel, is going to make it sound like crap to another person. And what makes a podcast great to me may not be what somebody else believes is a great podcast. And that's sort of why I've always talked about the three E's. There's things that great podcasts, even if you don't, aren't necessarily embroiled in that particular topic, it's not one that greatly interests you. Say like true crime for me, I'm not a true, I, I don't, want to listen to true crime podcasts. They just don't do anything for me. They're not something that I have any sort of interest in, but I can recognize what is great, what a great true crime podcast is because it contains what I've called the three E's. It's evokes emotion. It's educational. It's entertaining. If it doesn't have those three E's, it can be very good. It's not great, but a great podcast contains those three E's. 100% without a doubt. But even that, again, right? You can take that definition and you can make, you can twist things and you can make it sort of work into that gray area of how it works. So, again, uh, the Podcast Academy is 100% just about celebrating quality content. That's, those are Hernan's words. Those are no one else's words. It's literally all about the awards. That is that is yes. what I get out of this. It is it is about the recognition and the awards, which is fine. But boy, that is a small sliver of what we imagined with this announcement. And and he follows it up immediately to say they're not going to duplicate things that exist already, like meetups. He's pushing people to the Gimlet Academy podcast or Jesse Thorne show, etc. Right, because the the other thing that they mentioned is they want to have they want to try and create best practices for content, and quite honestly, there are things that already exist that have been done to what he described as a great extent that are that he'll never be able to 
outdo what has already been done, such as the Gimlet Academy podcast, which is teaching people how to make great quality audio in the form that Gimlet creates their great quality audio. Uh, so he's he says that there's no reason for us to reproduce that. It already exists. We will tell people to go to something like that. Uh, and meetups. He said that they wanted to do meetups all over the country, and he was informed that meetups already exist all over the country uh, with different organizations. And he's like, that's great. So we will push people to go to those meetups instead of recreating something that already exists. So that's fine. But again, it goes to the point of if it's not a trade association and you're not and you're not going to physically be doing these things that you said you want the association, this academy to do because it already exists, then it, it then goes back to it's all about the awards. And that's literally the only thing that this is going to be. He then moves on to say that he wants the Board of Governors to be representative of the industry, unlike other organizations that got it wrong. And he specifically cites the Academy Awards and, and some other uh, missteps that have occurred with like the Grammys and with the Oscars and, and so forth. Um, the Board of Governors will be more than half women. Okay. I want to point out that the word diversity refers to more than just a sex, refers to more than just a race. Diversity is literally being different than that that exists. And you're missing the point of diversity. I get you you want to have a lot of women voices on on the panel. However, if more women exist on the panel than men, you are not being representative of the space. And that's simple fact. Well, or specifically, if all of the women on the panel are from L.A. or New York. <laughs> right. Or part I of mean, big companies. Right. That's the key is like we, we need a, a podcaster, female or male or whatever, from Houston. We need a podcaster from where, – where's any representation on this governorship from Louisiana? It's not like there aren't podcasts down here. There are lots of them. There are some big ones even in the South. So, like, I, that's – that's geographical diversity, uh, size of audience, um, the, the, the nature of the company or the media conglomerate that's behind you, uh, all of those things are the kinds of diversity that, that I would – just the idea that there's more than half women I don't think is a bad thing. But pointing to that as how you're going to show diversity and how you're going to fix the problems that other academies have had before is not – you're right. That's not answering it. No, that, that, that doesn't answer the question at all. You sort of, you sort of missed the point on that. Um, at the 21-minute mark, as we talk more about the awards, there will be awards for true quote-unquote one-person shows. But they will also be eligible for the open categories. And the dream is for what happened with Parasite at the Academy Awards, where it was the best foreign picture, but also won the best overall picture. The problem with that, as the conversation grew from there, is there will be an entrance fee. So on top of the fact that you're going to have to pay a membership fee to become part of this academy, you also have to pay an entrance fee to be part of the awards. And that is 100% what they do at the Academy Awards and, and some of these other big award shows that occur. So the entry fee will be made appropriate for the one-man shows, understanding that these are people that aren't going to have a lot of extra cash. They don't come with big pockets or deep pockets. The general category, though, is going to be priced at a point where you probably will need to have little deeper pockets. It's probably going to be, I would assume, 
and again, this is not based on any sort of inside knowledge that I that I have, but I would assume that the entrance fee for the big awards is going to be equal, if not more than your membership fee, which right now the number that's being thrown around is a hundred bucks. And by the way, even a hundred bucks a year is something difficult for a person who lives on a extremely tight budget well it's or again someone who's doing this for a hobby or a side gig or a, or a side hustle or something like we talked about in the beginning we were talking about media hosts and the fact that you know for a lot of us opening up multiple accounts for media hosts just 20 extra bucks a month on an ongoing nature would be like a, a big deal would shut us down from creating a new show same thing here a lot of people are going to be turned off in the very beginning they're never even going to submit because of the entry fee you know no right. matter what the number is honestly so they have six open seats left. Three of those open seats have already been reached out to, and they just haven't gotten an answer, yes or no. He mentioned that iHeartMedia is not allowed as a big company to be part of this board of governors, but he did reach out to Conal Byrne, who has not given him a yes or a no at the time of the recording of that particular podcast. I don't know if that's changed since the recording of this podcast, uh, for instance. He also mentioned that uh, because there was a question about Intercom and Cumulus, uh, that he did reach out to people there. And I believe he said that there was going to be a representative from one of those companies at the next board of directors meetings, which is happening uh, very soon, even though they don't have a full board of director, a board of governors. I keep saying directors it's a board of governors. Um, and they're there to sort of observe and hopefully they'll give a yes to their invitation to become a member of the board of governors. But again, you're not being representative of the industry. So he mentions that the goal is to have nine people who work for companies and eight that are indie. And again, remember what their definition of indie is. It's just literally someone who doesn't work for a big company. So the problem is the majority of the people that do podcasting, we've talked about this, the 99% are the quote-unquote one-man show. And if they're not a one-man show, they're pretty darn close to being a one-man show. And you want all of them to pay 100 bucks a year to be a member of this, and then the whole point of this is for this award show that they are going to maybe have an opportunity to compete against. This does come back to the award show. And, I mean, to lay it out pure and simple, the big companies just haven't won the award shows that exist currently. They're either not part of iHeartRadio, where it does seem like their award show is literally there to promote their podcasts, and... They haven't won the People's Choice Award podcast, which is run by Todd Cochran, because their fan base gets involved and it becomes, as uh, as Hernan put it, a popularity contest, which has been a significant uh, criticism of the People's Choice Awards, is that it is a popularity contest, ultimately. Um, Todd has explained that the, the reason why he has run the award show in that manner is to show how engaged of an audience that you have, but... And there, and he does cite that there have been instances of a smaller podcast that has beaten out larger podcasts. Rob has a podcast, for instance, won the year that Serial would have been a contender and was a nominee to win the People's Choice Award and ultimately did not. That's what this is. This is all about when they keep talking about awarding and and celebrating quality content. It's all about the fact that these companies that do arguably create quality content aren't winning the awards that exist out there and they're making their own award show for it 
he also admits that a lot of criticism that arose during the announcement was that it was it seemed rushed. And quite honestly, he said it was rushed. He didn't come up. He had this spot to be a keynote speaker at Podcast Movement Evolutions that was held for him by Dan Franks. Uh, and he didn't have this idea until December. He mentioned that he was introduced to the two women who are the executive director and the accounting director. I forget exactly what their titles are, but they've sent out emails to people who have shown interest so far. Uh, they are part of a group that literally all they do is help nonprofit groups get off the ground. Uh, and they are involved with the audiobook uh, hmm. group that does a very, that's obviously very similar to what's being laid out here uh, for the Podcast Academy. He also admits that without the criticism that arose, he's not sure he would have considered putting as much representation of indie podcasters on the Board of Governors as there will be now. Yeah, so we wouldn't have even gotten eight. I And honestly, like I'm thinking about that number. Okay, if there's 17 governors, then if we wanted to be truly representative of the podcasting space, 16 and three quarters of them would be indies, and one quarter of a governor <laughs> would get to be a corporate governor. Hernan... Uh, one quarter of Hernan could show up to the meetings and then 16 and three quarters other people would need to show up and be on the board of governors. That would be fair. But again, we wouldn't have even got the eight, Jay, if we hadn't raised hell. <laughs> uh, and the last thing that I noted from it was the first awards for simplicity has to be timed around an industry event to have enough people there. He doesn't specifically mention podcast movement, but this is clearly a nod to podcast movement and as the place that this award show is going to be goes directly to what you sort of brought up um, when we first talked about this. Well, uh, and and I would put money on the fact that it will be at Podcast Movement Evolutions in L.A., not at Podcast Movement proper, which roams around the country. That is my guess. Well, again, he's talked about it being rushed. They're having meetings without having a full board of governors so they're continuing to rush. Uh, and to have it ready for podcast movement evolutions, that means he's got a year when he should probably consider doing it during podcast movements proper, where there will be more people, right? There's more people at podcast movement than there is at podcast movement evolutions. But not more of the people that they want, I think. That's the oh. key. The people, the people that they expect mm. to win these awards, the people that they want to pay for these awards, the people that they want to sponsor these awards, the people that they want to pay attention to the award winners and hire them and create more content with them, et cetera, et cetera. All of those people are at Podcast Movement Evolutions. And honestly, I don't I don't have any I don't have anything to back this up, Jay. But it just makes sense if you think about it. The way that Podcast Movement Evolutions was promoted and the way that it's been um, received now in its first year. Can't you imagine a slow withdrawal of many of those elements, those corporate elements from the main podcast event that they have to go to Dallas for or Orlando or, you know, Philly or wherever? Whereas, man, we got this thing once a year anyway, where all these people come to us. It would, I would be, I would be disheartened. Oh, I, I will say, be too, but I see, and I, I see it coming. I and I and I and I say that as someone who once did a panel at podcast was it a podcast yeah it was at podcast movement about what independent podcasters could learn from corporate podcasters and 
honestly, it's a, it is a hundred percent what corporate podcasters can learn from independent podcasters and vice versa. There's, there is a place where obviously both can exist on the same playing field, but there has to be an acknowledgement, which there still isn't. That's the, that is what has gotten me the most upset about all this. There's still not an acknowledgement that podcasting was here before you. And a lot of the people that were here before you are still here. And I get that you are now in a position where you have a lot of money and the money, I mean, it's the reason why, one of the reasons why we started the show, Joel, is to show people where the money is so you can understand where the industry is going. That They've got the money and they're going to dictate the way that this industry grows from this point on. And and that's going to make a lot of people angry, especially understanding. And Todd made this point pretty clear during the interview. The industry was born out of a quote unquote, stick it to the man type of mentality. And now the man is in here and the man is like, guess what? You're going to do what we tell you. And, and we have that rage against the machine mentality of F you. I won't do what you tell me. Um, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm still hopeful that there is room for growth. And again, I mean, the time for acknowledgement has passed, uh, but you still have to acknowledge those that came before. And as you mentioned, I would hate to see a podcast awards being held by the podcast movement people at evolutions that celebrates corporate podcasting and a hall of fame that happens at podcast movement, which celebrates all the OGs as, as we've been termed and it's separate. Like, no, they should be together. Like those OGs should be on that, on that board. One of the things that came up during the, during the live interview was would the podcast Academy be open to accepting a poll uh, that was compiled by one man show type producers for people that they would suggest to be on the uh, board of governors. And Hernan said, yes, a hundred percent. I don't know how many people could actually tick off all the boxes, but uh, yes, please send us those names. And that was a moment where again, Todd and Rob let him off the hook what are the boxes that need to be ticked off? Because right now, the only common box that we see is that they've all worked with Hernan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put a very fine point on it, you're absolutely right. That is that is the thing. And if that's one of the boxes to check off, then nobody that we're going to suggest, you know, um, uh, uh, anyway, I mean, I've thought of so many names that right I think now, would be so great. So I will I will say right now uh, that I followed everything that Elsie has said. I've been watching Elsie ever since she became really a megastar at Podcast Movement, and she was inserted into the Hall of Fame, and then she she was real cozy with the people on the Jacobs Media um, broadcasters meet podcasters. She is the one that I think 
has a huge connection, obviously, to real independent podcasters and the corporate side of things. And I think she is a voice that I would 100,000% support being on this board of governors. Mm. She has mentioned some names that I think would never, probably wouldn't even want to be a part of this, associated with this. But Jennifer Briney of Congressional Dish is someone that I have huge respect for. And by the way, we don't agree on everything. As a matter of fact, there's very few things that Jennifer and I actually agree upon when it comes to the business of podcasting. I'm with but you. She, but she is a voice that I would 100,000% want on that board of governors. Yeah. And again, it's because I want a true diversity of voices to sort of dictate what quote-unquote quality content actually is. So it all goes back. It's so simple, Jay. It all goes. We want a seat at the table. We want our voice and our frustrations and our considerations and our concerns heard by somebody, anybody in a room where <laughs> my kid, my youngest son keeps making us play the Hamilton soundtrack on the way to school. And he, one of his favorite songs is the the room where it happened, you know, where Burr's complaining because he wants to be in the middle of the decision making and he's not. Boy, that's it. That comes down to it, right? We know that it, we all know that it happened, but none of us were in the room where it happened. That's what it comes down to, Jay. We want to be in the room where it happens. We know that our concerns and our voices will still be minimized. That's we're very realistic about this. You and I have talked about it since we started doing this version of the show. The money in the industry is all at the top, and that's where the power is going to come from. But God dang it. Put us in the room. Just put us in the room. And you're right. I mean, Jen Briney, absolutely. I don't agree with her on a ton of things, politics and, and, and personality and podcasting and all of it. But I know that she comes from where I come from, you know, as far as a producer goes. And I know that she's felt my concerns. I know that she has experienced what I have experienced as an independent producer and that she would bring those concerns into the room. So that's what we want. That's all that we want. It's a very simple ask. And again, we say to Hernan and everybody else that's in this part of this, it's so small. Like what you would have to give us, honestly, we're willing to accept very little, <laughs> very little. Damn. And we'll all be happy. Like the controversy, the the kerfuffle about this could go away very simply with just a couple of steps, a couple of feints in our direction. Um, and yet they continue to sort of not want to do that, Jay. Well, it's very and, frustrating. And and the worst part for them that they they have to understand is that the way that this is successful is by getting the most amount of people possible participating in it and if you don't give the most the, the most people again 99% of podcasters are a one man show it's not the other way around so you can have all the deep pockets you want in the world but you only represent 1% of this industry they ain't going to be able to pay for this thing to work the way you want it to work. It's going to be the little guy. You're going to build this off the back of the little guy, and you got to make sure that the little guy gets exactly what he wants, or else you're in trouble. You won't get that parasite moment uh, during the Podcast Academy Awards because there won't be a parasite in your awards. You're absolutely right. That's it. That's what it comes down to. All right, let's um, let's wrap up this week with a quick look at my podcast reviews. 
the My Podcast Reviews service by uh, Daniel J. Lewis uh, brings us this data, the podcast industry st- statistics. The link is in the show notes, so you can check it out yourself. But, Jay, we talked about it last week. We might be climbing over it, and we did. I think it happened um, Wednesday or Thursday last week, right after we recorded, actually. We are now at 906,513 total valid podcasts in the Apple Podcast directory. Um, I heard Daniel, by the way, on... The Podcasters Roundtable, he's projecting that by spring of this year, we'll cross a million uh, podcasts valid in the um, directory. And he says probably by the end of the year, we'll be looking at 1.3 million podcasts based on current additions. So what's interesting about this is we noted, one, we've noted that there doesn't seem to be a discernible pattern in additions. However, after I said that, I'm looking at it and honestly, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, especially Wednesday, Friday are key dates to additions. Now, I don't know if that's Dan Dan has mentioned that it's something with the algorithm that he has, it's catching up and and things of that nature. I don't know if that's in this regard, but definitely for sure Wednesdays and Fridays podcasts are getting added to the Apple directory and most Mondays. Now, uh, according to to the site that we're looking at today, it doesn't appear that Monday had any additions to it whatsoever, or at least very, very few. It looks like 40, actually, hmm. were added on uh, Monday this, this past week. Um, so that's interesting. The other interesting thing that I'll take note uh, is he's got the chart listed here um, by month, and you can see... You know, the the chart has a little, a slight little dip from February over to March. Now, that's obviously because March has just begun. But it is something to note that when you look back on the chart, there was a dip from May into June into the total number of podcasts. Now, was that something that Apple, you know, made a concerted effort to start removing some podcasts during that particular time period? That's something I don't know, but perhaps something to go back and investigate to see why did that dip occur from May into June. And it does appear that there's a slight dip currently going from February to March. Again, that is most likely explained because March just began. Uh, I had seen some criticism of this number of, well, 900,000, that 900,000 number is useless because obviously all 900 of those aren't active podcasts. For example, my wife is a teacher and she had some kids uh, do some audio projects and it happened to be thrown up onto uh, Apple. And to call that a podcast is sort of disingenuous. Well, my friend, I would tell you to go further down the, the list where there is an active versus inactive podcast count. And currently the active number is 42.89% of the podcasts in the podcast directory. Daniel has provided a definition of what an active podcast is, and that is anything that has published at least one episode in the last 90 days, inactive as a podcast that has not published any episode in that same time period. The active number of podcasts is 388,823. So that gives you a better idea of exactly what is active and what is not currently active. Um, and again, that doesn't mean it's a dead podcast. It just means it's one that's not currently creating new episodes on a, I mean, 90 days. That's three months. That's a fairly, I think that's a fairly reasonable time frame to give, even for a guy who comes from the sports world where there are off seasons 
for for podcasts. Yeah, but it'd be hard to be shut down for a full three months. You, you're going to have a draft episode or a preseason episode or something in there. You would you would you would hope sports podcasters. Yeah, don't 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 sit idle for ninety full days. No, I mean it was something that we did at ESPN for a little while, but it was even something back then in the early days of podcasting that we quickly were like. Why are we not doing a podcast in the off season? We should be doing at least one a month. And so they did. And now I think they do more. If you look at the added and removed, so in the last 30 days, there have been 50,000 podcasts added, a little over 9,000 removed. So if you're tracking that, not by the end of April, but by the, or excuse me, not by the end of March, but probably by the end of April or the beginning of May, we should cross over to that million mark. So I think that's pretty conservative, actually, on Daniel's part. There you go. Uh, pretty sweet. But yeah, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays are when podcasts get added. Um, now, so so what do you do with that type of information? Well, you should understand that if you are creating a new episode, if you're creating a new podcast, you're competing with a whole bunch of shows on Wednesdays and Fridays. If you've never created a podcast before uh, and you want to go live as soon as possible, understand that if you submit your podcast on a Tuesday, there's a chance you could get included in the Wednesday. Most likely you're going to end up in the Friday bin, especially if you send it on Wednesday. That's probably a better example. If you if you submit your new podcast feed on Wednesday, you're most likely not getting added until Friday. As sort of an example to sort of use there. Um, so yeah, interesting data points to be sure uh we we had so much today we didn't get to get to we didn't get to talk about uh the new york times and uh, their potential purchase of um serial uh the serial podcast and serial productions we'll try to talk about that next week we've also got a great article from rain news uh well no that was the article from rain news that we were going to get to there's a bunch of stuff that we had that has uh, been pushed down the list now so we'll try to bring you some of those stories in the next upcoming weeks it's just there's just too much the podcasting industry is too much we must sum up uh that's what it comes down to uh, i mean when it comes to being concise uh we perhaps weren't as concise today but again i think everything we've talked about is very uh important information that you can derive value from absolutely and I, that, and I hope that you did and we give you a week to consume it quite honestly yeah so that's right you if you don't get through it. it all in one day get through it another day uh, pause it come back to it uh, I'm going to leave you with that call to action. Jay, if, uh, if somebody has been listening to this and they're like, I want to, I want to pick this guy's brain more, particularly as a sports podcaster, a college sports podcaster, how could they get in touch with you? Well, if you want to pick my brain more as just a regular podcaster, I'm always available, uh, on my DMS at the real pod Vader. You can DM me. I will talk to you. I will probably even share with you my personal email address from that particular point forward. Uh, if you are a sports podcaster and you're interested specifically in college sports and there's a college sports team that we don't cover on the Locked On Podcast Network, then I probably want to talk to you about an opportunity that we have at the Locked On Podcast Network. So you can reach out to me on my email there. That's podvader at lockedonpodcasts.com. You can find me at 
propodcastingservices.com or at joelsharpton.com. Those are my websites. You can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life if you like the NBA and politics. Uh, if you just want to hear about politi- uh, podcasting, then you should check out podcasting underscore pro. That's my uh, professional uh, Twitter account. Um, we'll be back next week when we'll cover, among other things, I'm imagining we'll be talking about cereal and their potential purchase. Maybe it'll be a done deal by then. We'll be able to talk some raw numbers. Uh, and of course, more of your problems, concerns, issues, and opportunities in the podcasting space. All of that next week. Until then, we've been your host. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. And I'm really not that grumpy. <laughs> Get off my lawn. We are always listening. listening is a proud member of the two guys and a rogue network you can find all of our past episodes including more than a hundred podcast reviews at alwayslisteningpod.com in apple podcasts spotify stitcher radio or anywhere you listen to podcasts for help on your podcast visit propodcastingservices.com our theme song is enough from bethany raven Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.